Isaiah chapter 58, once you have found that, you can stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. There's a lot of places you could have chosen to be this evening. White Oak Baptist Church is one of the better choices. How many would rather be here than in Times Square right now? All right. All that mayhem. I I drove down to uh, the airport uh, the other day, picked someone up from the airport, and I saw all the signs about uh, getting designated drivers and all this stuff. And I said, I won't be anywhere near this area uh, come uh, the 31st. Uh, But uh, boy, what a great place to end out the year with our church family. Isaiah 58 Verse 3 down through verse 7 we'll read. The Bible says, Wherefore have we fasted, say thee, and thou seest not? Wherefore have we afflicted our soul, and thou takest no knowledge? Behold, in the day of your fast ye find pleasure, and exact all your labors. Behold, ye fast for strife and debate, and to smite with the fist of wickedness. Ye shall not fast as ye do this day, to make your voice to be heard on high. Is it such a fast that I have chosen? A day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head as a bulrush, and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Wilt thou call this a fast, and an acceptable day of, to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I have chosen, to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free, and that ye break every yoke? Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry, and that thou uh, bring the poor that are cast out to thy house, when thou seest the naked, that thou cover him, and that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh? We're going to preach a sermon tonight on fasting. The title of the sermon is this, Seeking God's Face Through Fasting. I mentioned this morning in both the 8.15 and 10.30 service that I've only preached one other sermon on this topic in my years of pastoring here. But I believe this is a vital part of the Christian life. Jesus told uh, his disciples, he didn't say, if ye fast, he said, when ye fast. When ye fast. When was the last time you fasted? This should be a regular part of our Christian life. Let's pray together. Lord, this is a very important topic and one, Lord, that we'll do our best to try to digest and understand this evening. But God, if I stand up here and preach a prepared sermon and you're not in it, then it's a waste of time. And so, Lord, I pray that I preach with the the power of your spirit, but Lord, that each listener would listen with the power of your spirit. And God, may we leave here with the determination Uh, Lord, to live this Christian discipline and then see the fruit and the result of it. Thank you, God, for the Bible. Oh, Lord, how it has changed my life and changed each of our lives over the many years that we've read it, studied it, sought to obey it. Lord, um, uh, loved it. And God, I pray that 2024 would be a year that we fall even deeper in love with the Bible and see it make an even greater impact in our lives. Lord, be with us during this time. Lord, give me... Uh, wisdom as I preach, give wisdom to each person as they discern. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. All throughout the scripture, we're commanded to get hold of God through prayer. Prayer is a commandment in the Bible. Prayer is something that we are commanded to do as to get hold of God and to 
have a communion and relationship with Him. Oftentimes, God's Word encourages us to do more than just pray a casual prayer. How many here ever ride down the road and something comes to your mind and you say, Lord, help me with this or give me wisdom with that? Those are important prayers. Amen. I think you should pray prayers like that. And I would call that casual praying. I'm 100% for it. I do it all the time. Sometimes we should do more than just pray a casual prayer. 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 11 The Bible says this, seek the Lord and his strength. Listen to this, seek his face continually. Seek his face continually. How about Psalm 63 verse 1? O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee. In a dry and thirsty land where no water is. By my count, 76 times in Scripture, you find this idea of people seeking after God. 76 times people, you find people seeking after God. Why do you seek for something? Well, you seek for something because you can't find it. You ever lost something important and turn your house upside down to find it? Remember a few years ago, we had one key left to my wife's vehicle, just one key. And you know, these new key fobs are 250 to $300 to get replaced. And you can't just go down and buy one. You, you have to then get your car towed over to the dealership so that they can program the key and get that thing made just right. And I did not have $250 nor the money to have the vehicle Toad, and we knew that key was somewhere in our house, and we searched and we searched and we uh, sought after that key for days, and even after a week we had not found the key, and finally we came up with a solution. After we came up with a solution and had another uh, workaround where we got the key, lo and behold, the key popped up. Isn't that funny how that works? Uh, but we could we sought after the key because we could not. Find it. Why else do you seek for something? You seek for something you want to know, uh, or rather, uh, you want to know something, or you want to know a person better. I remember uh, my my wife, and when I met her, she was just uh, my girlfriend. Even before that, she was just an acquaintance. She was an interest, and I sought after her. I remember we spent time together um, uh, talking and becoming acquainted, and then lo and behold, spring break hit, and she went one way for spring break in college, and I went another, and I remember all the spring break thinking about her and wanting a, uh, to begin a relationship with her. The day she got back from uh, her trip on spring break, I went and found her on the college campus and I asked her to go on a date with me. And I spent the next uh, uh, year and a half getting to know her. I sought after her. I pursued her. Why? Because I wanted to know her better. Why else do you seek for something? You want to get the person's attention. Have you ever sought after someone because you were trying to get their attention. Maybe you had information that would help them, or uh, maybe you had a problem that uh, uh, you needed help with, and you wanted to communicate with them and get their attention. I was talking with Pastor Bish, who pastors the Heritage Baptist Church up the road here, and Pastor Bish battled uh, uh, 
uh, health issues for quite a while there with uh, pain and discomfort in his heart. Recently, I had a conversation with him. Pastor Bish had gone to the hospital and to the emergency room multiple times and had been seen by all kinds of specialists. At one point, he was laid up in the Hartford uh, Health uh, Hartford Healthcare System at the Hartford Hospital and had specialists from every single type of uh, place come in to see him. And they just could not figure out what was wrong with his heart. And someone walked up to him after church on a Sunday and said, you probably don't want any more armchair advice, but have you considered seeing a chiropractic? And maybe you have something out of line. And sure enough, he went down the road and saw a chiropractor friend of the person who sought him out and they were able to set things back in line in his uh, muscle system and all of his pain went away. Aren't you glad that person sought him out? That quality of life. Why do we seek We seek because we can't find something. We seek because we want to know something better. We seek because, or someone better. We seek because we want the person's attention. And how have you at times felt like that you didn't really have God's attention on a matter? You ever felt that way and you, you prayed and you just kind of felt like heaven was quiet on you and there was not really a response there where you prayed on something and you just really didn't have any direction on it. Maybe it was where you go to school or uh, a, a new relationship that you want to begin or a job that you want to change or a home that you want to buy or do I take out that equity loan or not and uh, 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 all kinds of uh, of, of ways where we need God's wisdom and we pray and we're still left with this sense of uncertainty on how to navigate forward. We have brought it to the Lord in prayer, but we don't feel like we really have God's attention on a matter. Have you ever at times felt like that you needed to pursue God into a deeper state of devotion and prayer where you read your Bible and you prayed, but there was just something that still wasn't quite right? You didn't quite get deep enough with the Lord. You you, you read that Bible for a good 30 minutes. You got down on your knees and maybe you prayed for another 20 to 30 minutes. And you get up and you think, you know what, that was good, but something's still not quite there. I, I, I know that I can know the Lord on a... Even deeper level. Well, th- that is what fasting is. It's walking with God in such a deep, intimate way so that you can deepen your relationship with Him on a whole new level. Let me say this. Fasting is a deeper seeking of God. It's a deeper pursuit of God. You remember the disciples? Jesus was up on the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John. And there was a man who had a little boy throwing himself around and demon-possessed. And Jesus came down off the Mount and the disciples had no power over that demon. And Jesus cast the demon out of the little boy. And as the disciples are walking away, those eight disciples look at Jesus and say, How come we had no power over that demon? And what did Jesus say back? He said, This kind cometh forth only by prayer and and fasting. There are some things that if you want to get hold of God and you want to get hold of heaven, you must fast. You must take a break from that thing that your flesh wants and you must pursue God on an even 
deeper level. I propose this evening that all Christians need to seriously evaluate their relationship with God and do their part to seek God's face in a deeper way. Tonight we will look at two main points and several thoughts below the second point as we consider this topic of seeking God's face through fasting. Point number one tonight, notice our mandate to fast. Our mandate to fast. Joel chapter 2, if you can turn over there for me, I want you to see these verses with your own two eyes. Joel chapter 2, Joel is there in the minor prophets, alright? Joel chapter number 2, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, you get to the other books you've gone too far. Right before the book of Amos, you find the book of Joel. Joel chapter 2, Joel, Joel. Joel 2 and verse 12. Everybody there? All right. I still hear some pages turning. I'll make sure everyone's there. Look at verse 12. It says, Therefore also now saith the Lord, Turn ye even to me with all your heart. Read the rest of the verse with me. And with fasting, and with weeping, and with mourning. You see that? You're to turn to the Lord with all your heart. And this includes fasting, weeping, and mourning. Notice that. We're to seek the Lord's face by fasting. By fasting. Turn over to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 16. Jesus here is teaching, uh, he's preaching rather, there the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5. Chapter 6 and chapter 7. At the end of chapter 7, when Jesus finishes his sermon, uh, everyone looks around and says, This man teaches and preaches like no other. He teaches and preaches with great wisdom. And unlike the Pharisees, unlike the scribes. Look at Matthew 6. Look at part of the sermon here. Jesus says, Moreover, when ye fast. You see that? Not if ye fast. Not if ye choose to fast. But when ye fast. Be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear in a men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. When ye fast. When ye fast. Let me ask you a question I asked in the beginning of the sermon. When was the last time you fasted? Now, obviously, I don't want you to answer that out loud. But when was the last time you set something aside that your flesh really wanted and said no to your flesh, when was the last time you did so to seek God's face? Our mandate to fast. Number two, our motives in fasting. Our motives in fasting. It's, it's neat as you get older. It's neat as you, you age. Life begins to become more in focus. Uh, uh, you ever had an epiphany on something, and he went, aha, how come I never saw it that, it's been that way my whole life, but I never quite saw it that way before, and one thing came into great focus for me in the last handful of years is this idea of people's motives, people's motives, people do a lot of things that are both good and bad, Uh, and uh, you know what I find is that it's easy to judge someone's motives, You know, we all are tempted to hyper-judge somebody's motives. You know, that's a bad thing. You shouldn't judge somebody's motives. 
remember when I was a boy, and I, it didn't make any sense to me when I was a boy. Now it makes full sense to me, but I would, I would say something about somebody, and my mom would, about something someone did, and my mother would speak up and say, well, they, they probably didn't mean it that way. They probably didn't mean it the way you took it. And uh, eventually I looked at my mom after she said that, and I said, you always give people the benefit of the doubt. And she said, well, that's a good thing. Don't you want people to give you the benefit of the doubt? Then maybe you should be busy giving others the benefit of the doubt. And you put that in line with this idea of motives. Now, I, listen up, I cannot know what your motive is unless you tell me. I can speculate, and sometimes it might seem very obvious. But how many of you have ever been wrong on something that seemed obvious? Somebody's motive may seem obvious to you, and you might be wrong on that motive. I can speculate about your motive, but only me and God knows the motive of my own heart. Only you and God knows the motive of your own heart. When you do something good, did you know that you can do something that uh, appears to be good and it really be evil? You ever given someone a gift for their birthday, only hoping that it was your birthday, you'd get a gift back from them? And then when you didn't, you were disappointed. And you thought, oh, all I do for them on their birthday. And they didn't even think to call me and say, happy birthday. They, they didn't even remember me. And Jesus talked about that, right? Having banquets at your home and inviting people over to your home that will then turn around and invite you over to their home for a banquet. And Jesus said, don't do that. Have people into your home for a banquet that will never be able to have you over to theirs. Our motives. Oh, our motives are so important. Did you know that Isaiah, where we began tonight, in fact, turn back over to Isaiah 58, Isaiah addresses this idea of people who were fasting with the wrong motive. Letter A, notice, sinful motives. Sinful motives. Now, from what I understand about Baptist, all right, I can't speak outside much of the Baptist world because I've been a Baptist since nine months before I was born and I've always only been a part of a Baptist church, all right? So I don't know as much about other denominations, but I know about the Baptists. Let me tell you about us Baptists. We don't like to fast very much, all right? Look at me. Obviously, I could fast a little bit more and I'm not the only one in the room, amen? Uh, we, uh, we like to eat, we, uh, we do a lot of fellowships that are, y'all, y'all can smile, it's okay. We do a lot of fellowships around food, and uh, here in New England, we have our share of restaurants, do we not? Um, someone said, what is so wonderful about living in New England? And I go down to uh, Louisiana once a year, every year, for a camp that I've been taking my children to, and I'll sit down there uh, with those uh, folks, and they, they pick on me and call me a Yankee. Can you believe that? They call me a Yankee. Up here, that's a good thing down there. They consider that a bad thing. And they say, what's so good about living up there in Yankee land? And I say, well, I'll tell you one thing that's great about living in Yankee land is we have a lot of different ethnicities of restaurants to choose from. Do we not? I mean, you pick your ethnicity and you can get authentic cuisine. I remember I uh, got invited to uh, celebrate someone's birthday a few months ago and went to an Indian restaurant. I don't really like Indian food, but you know what? It was authentic Indian food. And 
up in the Waterbury area, there's a Turkish restaurant. And uh, there is a Colombian restaurant right here in West Haven. You go down into New York City and you can find any ethnicity of, of restaurant that you want. And we like to eat. We don't like to fast. But did you know some people fast, but they do so with the wrong motive. Look at verse 3. Look at how the prophet chides these people for fasting with the wrong motive. Wherefore have we fasted, say they? And thou seest not. These people have fasted and not gotten their way with God, and now they're upset. Wherefore have we afflicted our soul, and thou takest no knowledge? Behold, in the day of your fast, look here, in the day of your fast ye find pleasure, and exact all your labors. Behold, ye fast for strife and Debate and to smite with the fist of wickedness, ye shall not fast as ye do this day, to make your voice to be heard on high. He says here, you're fasting for all the wrong reasons. He said you're fasting so that you can have a fake, hypocritical piety, a fake, hypocritical religiosity, uh, and he said it is displeasing to the Lord. He was saying that you claim to fast, but in a day where you're supposed to be afflicting the flesh, you are instead pleasing your flesh. You're using your fasting as leverage to one-up people around you. You're using your fasting as leverage to try to get more out of God. He said, your fasting has become nothing more than strife and debate. You proclaim to anyone and everyone who will listen about how spiritual you are by your fasting. Look down at verse 10. We'll see here that, uh, that Isaiah tells these people what the outcome of this type of fasting is. He says, And if thou draw out thy soul to the hungry, and satisfy the afflicted soul, then shall thy light rise in obscurity, and thy darkness be as the noonday. So what is the purpose of fasting? The purpose of fasting is not so that we can feel more spiritual. The purpose of fasting is not so that we can go around and tell everyone how much better we are. You know, I don't know too many people that do that. We're, we're a little bit more sophisticated than that. But you know what can happen is there's a sense of pride that builds up in our heart. And we think, you know what, I fasted last week. That makes me the elite of the elite of the Christian world because I fast when most others don't. And you may not voice it out loud, but you are filled with pride. And God hates pride. So what is the purpose of fasting? What does the Bible tell us about this topic? Well, we saw sinful motives. Let her be. Let's talk about spiritual motives. And here's where we'll, uh, here's where we'll spend the rest of the message looking at our spiritual motives. Isaiah 58, the prophet lays out for us why we should fast and what we should seek to accomplish in that fasting. Notice first, our spiritual motives ought to be to starve fleshly appetites. To starve fleshly appetites. Look at verse 5. Is it such a fast that I have chosen? Look at this. A day for a man to afflict his soul. Afflict his soul. Is it to bow down his head as a bulrush and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Wilt thou call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? Psalm chapter 69. Turn over to Psalm chapter 69 for me. 
when we fast, we are afflicting our soul. We are starving fleshly appetites. I mentioned during the 1030 service this morning how wicked our flesh is and how it is bent toward death and destruction. I talked about the cookie platter left out there this morning and the multiple cookies that I ate in between services while trying to battle a head cold and uh, how that the body is just bent toward all of the, It's amazing how that nothing that tastes good uh, is good for you and everything that tastes bad is good for you. Isn't that amazing? The body hates uh, 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 things that are healthy. It loves things that are unhealthy. Why? Because it's bent toward death. It's bent toward destruction. And listen, I'm not just talking about food tonight. I could preach a whole sermon on gluttony because uh, gluttony is a problem in our culture. And when you fast, you're starving your flesh of food. But can I tell you that uh, it isn't just it isn't just food that our flesh battles against. Look at Psalm 69 verse 10. The psalmist says, "When I wept and chastened my soul with fasting." You see that? Chastened my soul with fasting that was to my reproach. You find this idea in a few places, but fasting is actually the bringing in line of fleshly desires that are controlling us. Do you have a sinful behavior that you just can't seem to shake? Maybe you have some language you just can't seem to let go of. Maybe your heart is filled with vanity and all you care about is your appearance and uh, uh, pleasing others with the way you look. Maybe you have a sexual lust issue and you've tried to get on top of that thing, but you just can't beat it. You just can't shake it. I don't know. Maybe you have a lying problem. Maybe you have a laziness problem. Uh, whatever your besetting sin is tonight, uh, uh, we are told that fasting is one way to bring the flesh in line. We chasten the flesh by uh, starving ourselves of food. So let me give you some examples here. Any fleshly uh, sinful indulgence such as alcohol abuse, drug abuse, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh... Um, uh, these are things where we starve our flesh in order to bring our flesh in line as to chastise and punish to starve those fleshly appetites. It can also be a good or neutral thing that has fallen out of balance uh, by the flesh. Uh, let me give you some examples of things that are not sinful in and of themselves, but become sinful when they're not kept in moderation. All right, I've mentioned some of these already, but eating. Nothing wrong with food. You need to eat to live, but many people live to eat. All right? They wake up and they're just excited about that next meal and they don't just eat one donut. They put a dozen donuts down and then they feel awful about what they've done. And uh, they, they eat in a way that is very unhealthy and now that food, which is not sinful, has become sinful because it's not been done in moderation. Here's another one. Uh, coffee consumption. Oh, now I'm hitting right where we live, all right? Uh, good night. The coffee shops in New England are off the charts. Uh, they built the Starbucks right around the corner from the church, and I thought, how can it possibly be that one more Starbucks could go up? I mean, who wants to overpay for a cup of coffee anyway? Every time I drive by there, there's cars just 
in and out of that drive through and that lobby is packed. And I thought, my goodness, how could this be? And as if there weren't enough Starbucks and Dunkin' Donuts around, now you have all kinds of other coffee shops that are opening up. And some people, they wake up in the morning and they get a cup of coffee. And then they get a second cup before they walk out the door. And then they stop at Dunkin' or Starbucks and waste money there. And then they get an afternoon run in and it's coffee, 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 coffee. And listen, uh, the Bible says in, uh, let's see, First Thessalonians, no, I'm sorry, Philippians 4, let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Moderation. You should not allow anything to have control over you. If, if tomorrow you went a whole day without coffee, how would your flesh respond? Would you be able to make it a day without a cup of coffee? If the answer, listen, I'm being serious tonight. If the answer is no, then coffee has control over you. How about this one? TV. Boy, and and to be broader with the word TV, how about just screens in general? We are screen addicts. That's what we've become. Screens are everywhere. Flew out to Las Vegas last week and... There was a screen in the seat in front of me with, uh, I, think that, I think that it said something like a 1,200 and something movies and 300 uh, TV series and a lot of all these uh, games that you can play. And I guess what they figured out is that the stewardess will have less to do on the plane if they can just keep you entertained with that screen, six, you know, two feet in front of your face. And, uh, we are drunk on that, just locked in on those screens. Uh, you, you, those of you that have iPhones, every Sunday morning you get that, uh, that screen report, right? Where it tells you how many hours you looked at your screen on average per day. And maybe some of you went and turned that off because you felt so convicted by that. But uh, listen, how many hours a week are you spending staring at a cell phone screen or staring at a television screen? What if you decided tomorrow you're going to go a whole day and only look at a screen that was required by work? And other than that, you weren't going to look at one. You weren't going to look at one only when it was required. Let me tell you, you'd have withdrawals. Some, some years back, I took a trip to uh, get alone and walk with the Lord. I left my cell phone behind. I left my laptop behind. I called ahead to the place I was staying and had them take out the television and the Wi-Fi router. And I went into a place with a stack of books. And uh, I didn't have any screens with me. You know what I found was by Thursday of that week, I was getting in my car searching for a Best Buy because I was having withdrawals. And you say, Pastor, that's terrible. That's where most of us live. Some of us are not just addicted to food or coffee or screens. Some of us are addicted to work. Workaholics, they're called. Some folks are addicted to their bank account. You got those bank apps on your phone. You're constantly checking that balance and trying to push to have that next zero. It, you know, you used to, when you were poor, you used to push to have a thousand in the bank and then ten thousand in the bank and, and then a hundred thousand in the bank and, and then you're checking those IRA accounts and, and you're looking at the stock market. You got that stock app on your phone and it's, it's money, 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 money. Here's another one social media. Social media is ruining this country. It is ruining this country. Instagram is nothing more than a hyper-comparison machine. 
You get on that Instagram and you're scrolling through and all you're seeing is one fake perfect picture after another fake perfect picture. And sometimes someone will put hashtag no filter and then I look at the picture and I think, okay, yeah, okay, whatever. Uh, There's some kind of a filter on this thing. But even if there's not, it's one fake perfect picture after another. And uh, I, I tell this from time to time, but there was a time in my marriage many years ago, prior to pastoring here, where me and Angela went through a really rough uh, patch of our marriage. And we were not on speaking terms for uh, for quite a while. And one Thanksgiving, uh, uh, Angela's mom and sister were staying with us and they were in the kitchen getting the Thanksgiving meal ready. And I came into the kitchen to do some helping. And Angela's sister, Andrea, pulled out her phone and she said, smile. And I turned around and I put my arm around Angela and we took a picture as though we were on great terms and that went on social media and I thought that is a lie that picture is a total lie how much of social media is that way the Bible says comparing ourselves among ourselves is not wise several years ago I made the choice just to get off social media altogether I'm not going to tell you what to do But I think for some of you here this evening, one of the best things you could do in 2024 is unplug from social media. If not permanently, take a month off. Just take a month off. Some of you here tonight cannot handle a fast of food. Your diet will not allow you to fast off of food for any length of time. All of us in here with social media can go a month without looking at it and survive. How many old enough to remember before Facebook was even a thing? All right? Amen? Amen? You don't need that stuff. It's tearing you down. It's hurting you likely. Now, if it's done in moderation, it can be okay. Turn over to Ezra chapter 8. Starving fleshly appetites. Jeremiah said... The heart is deceitful, desperately wicked above all things who can know it. Paul said in Romans 7, There is that dwells within my flesh no good thing. And so I am constantly questioning the motives of my flesh. Look at Ezra chapter 8, look at verse 21. Ezra says, Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava, that we might afflict ourselves. See that? That we might afflict ourselves before our God. To seek of Him a right way for us. And for our little ones. And for all our substance. So, some background on the passage here. Ezra is on his way from Persia to Jerusalem. So that he can sanctify the new temple and the people. In route, he runs into some evil people who seek to do them harm. Instead of turning back to the king of Persia... For help, he instead proclaims a fast. Look down at verse 23. So we fasted and besought our God for this, and he was entreated of us. You see that? That he proclaimed a fast, the people fasted, and as a result of the the fast and afflicting their flesh, the Lord uh, uh, heard them. The Lord was entreated. Look down at verse 31. Ezra 8, verse 31. Then we departed from the river of Ahava on the twelfth day of the first month to go unto Jerusalem, and the hand of our God was upon us, and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and of such as lay in wait by the way. So why is it that we we fast? We fast to starve fleshly appetites. Let me give you another reason here found in Isaiah 
58. We fast to loose the bands of wickedness. We fast to loose the bands of wickedness. Look at Isaiah 58 and look at verse number 6. Look at Isaiah 58, look at verse number 6 with me. The Bible says, Is not this the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bands of wickedness? To undo the heavy burdens? And to let the oppressed go free? And that ye break every yoke? Fasting is also meant to, to deliver us from the chains of sin bondage that can ensnarl us. Sometimes this wicked bondage or oppression is our own fault. Turn over to the book of Jonah. We're going to use our Bible heavy tonight, as you can tell. And so please participate with that. Turn in your Bible. Turn over to Jonah. Jonah chapter number 3. When I was a kid, my parents had a Patch the Pirate uh, uh, tape. Back then when they were tapes. Now they're, now they're like MP3s or you just stream them. But Patch the Pirate tape. In fact, my first Patch the Pirate adventure was a record that sat on a record player going way, way back. But I had a Patch the Pirate tape called Kidnapped on I-Land. Play on words there. Uh, I, I-Land. And um, the, the boy in there, the sailor, uh, Silas Sailor, he ends up going to I-Land because of his own selfishness. And he's wrapped in chains. And he's stuck there in bondage because of his own selfishness. Have you ever been so ensnarled in a sin that you felt like you were just squeezed by chains and there was no way out? Boy, I've, I've been there. I've battled sin. I've, I've battled sin in my life where I felt like I couldn't battle anymore because I was just locked down. And maybe that's where you're at right now. Wickedness has a grip on you and you just can't seem to break free. Well, uh, Isaiah says the way you break free, the key to those chains, the key that unlocks the lock uh, to those chains is fasting. Sometimes this wicked bondage or oppression is our own fault. Look at Jonah chapter 3. Here Jonah makes his way into the city of Nineveh. The Bible says, so the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even unto the least of them. For word came unto the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne and he laid his robe from him and covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes and he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them, uh, not, uh, let them not feed nor drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn every one from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent? Turn away from his fierce angle, anger that we perish not." And God did turn from His anger. These people were wrapped up in a wicked, wicked lifestyle of anti-Semitism and hatred against the Jewish people. Jonah preached a short uh, sermon and, and the uh, king repented of his ways and being wrapped, uh, being wrapped up in wickedness, he pulled out the key of fasting and repentance and God freed them. The bands of wickedness were loosed. Sometimes wicked bondage or oppression is the result of someone else's sin against us. Do you know that when other people do you wrong, you listening tonight? Other people do you wrong and there's a damage that goes down into your soul, that sometimes fasting is the answer to that also. Turn over to Esther chapter 4. 
Esther chapter 4. The story of Esther is fascinating. And the theme of the book of Esther is the sovereignty of God. The hand of God's sovereignty working in the background. It's the only book in the Bible where the name of God is not mentioned. But you can't read the book of Esther and not see his hand at work in the background. And Esther here has been promoted to queen. She is a, a closet Jew. Nobody knows it except her and her uncle Mordecai. And um, uh, the, the, uh, the, the wicked Haman is seeking to destroy the Jews because Mordecai will not bow to him. And so now uh, a decree has been put forth and signed by the king and the Jewish people are to be slaughtered. And Mordecai sends to Esther and says, you need to do something about this. Look at Esther 4 verse 3. And in every province, whithersoever the king's commandment and his decree came, there was great mourning among the Jews and fasting and weeping and wailing. And many lay in sackcloth and ashes. Later in verse 16, she asks the other Jews to join in uh, her, join her in corporate fasting. And what was the result? They were set free from the wickedness that was meant against them. In fact, they destroyed the enemies against them. Some of you here tonight have had wickedness happen to you. Someone has done something that's hurt you. And you say, Pastor Lejeune, what can I do to overcome? Maybe considering following the example of Queen Esther here and proclaiming a fast in your life and asking God to give you victory over that emotional hurt and that wickedness aimed against you. Turn over to Mark chapter number 9. Sometimes this wickedness is something that we step into and, and, uh, and uh, help uh, intervene against. Sometimes other people in our lives are under great assault and uh, they need us to intervene on their behalf. They need us to loose the bands of wickedness for them. Maybe you have a child that's wrapped up in uh, sin. Maybe you have a sibling that's wrapped up in sin. Maybe you have a friend uh, that's wrapped up in pain and hurt and sin. And you think, well, what can I really do to help loose the bands of wickedness? Look at Mark chapter 9, look at verse 29. And he said unto them, this kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. You see, Christian... You have wickedness in your life. Whether it's wickedness that you've performed, or wickedness that's been performed against you, or wickedness involved in a loved one's life, and you say, Pastor, I've done all I can do. Have you? Have you prayed about it? Well, yeah, I prayed one time. I said, Lord, help me through this situation. No, no, no. I don't mean did you casually pray. I mean did you seek God's face continually as Solomon commanded in Chronicles? Have you, as Joel claimed, proclaimed a fast and weeped and wailed and asked God to intervene so that the wickedness could be loosed and you could be given deliverance? Why do we fast? Well, we fast uh, to starve our fleshly appetites. We fast... To loose the bonds of wickedness. Go back to Isaiah 58 with me. We see we fast to provide for the hungry and naked. Turn over to chapter 58 verse 7. Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry? And that thou bring the poor that are cast out to thy house. When thou seest the naked, that thou cover him. And that thou hide not thyself 
from thine own flesh. You take the bread that you would have eaten and instead you give it to the poor that don't have. You, you take the food that you would have put down your own, uh, uh, your own uh, throat there and you give it to others who are in need. And I thank God we live in a country that uh, provides bountifully for the poor. Here in the state of Connecticut, grocery stores give of their abundance to a food bank so that those who are hungry can go and take food and have in their abundance. And uh, listen, if you're looking for uh, signs of a Judeo-Christian ethos still present in our culture, I would say that's one big one right there, that the poor are looked after and provided for. And I would say to me and you tonight, we ought to look to give to the need of the poor. Today I announced, or I've been announcing over the last several weeks, a need to raise our benevolence fund so that those who do not have can be helped and provided for. And when you fast and take the money you would have spent on food and give that toward our benevolence fund, it goes toward helping those who are hungry and naked. Why else do we fast? Notice, to establish a strong connection with heaven. Look back with me at Isaiah 58. Look at verse 8. Then shall thy light break forth as the morning, and thine health shall spring forth speedily, and thy righteousness shall go before thee. The glory of the Lord shall be thy re-reward. Then shalt thou call, and the Lord shall answer. Thou shalt cry, look here, he shall say, Here I am, if thou take away from the midst of thee the yoke. The putting forth of the finger and speaking vanity. Over and over again, we find levels of prayer in the Bible. Levels of prayer. Uh, We climb the ladder or the staircase of praying. We go from just praying a casual prayer to learning how to pray uh, in a prayer closet where we're on our knees for 30, 45 minutes, an hour at a time. And then maybe you graduate up to a place where you can pray through the night. and You're up all night in prayer seeking God's face. And so what are some examples of, of levels of praying in the Bible. Well, Jesus lays out these three levels. He gives out uh, asking, seeking, and knocking. Asking, seeking, and knocking. And uh, each one is a little bit more intense uh, uh, over the other. Here's another uh, staircase of of, uh, praying on a more serious level. There's prayer. There's intercession. There's supplication. And when you've gone through praying and then you've gotten down on your face and you've interceded on behalf of others and then you've deeply sought God's face by supplicating, then you graduate up to prayer and fasting the foregoing of meals, the skipping of food, or the skipping of something your flesh deeply wants and craves and desires, and instead giving that time to God in prayer. God wants us to prevail in our praying. Turn over to the book of Daniel, chapter 10. Sometimes that means that we deny the flesh to show God just how serious we are with deepening our relationship with Him and deepening our relationship to Him. We methodically look at a plate of food and we push it aside and we say, I want to know God on a deeper level. I would rather starve my flesh to cling toward God. I'm going to make the methodical choice of pushing away from the table in order to go to the closet and seek God's face in prayer. Look at Daniel chapter 10. Look at verse number 2. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. Three full weeks. 
I ate no pleasant bread, neither came flesh nor wine in my mouth, neither did I anoint myself or shower at all, till three whole weeks were fulfilled. Daniel said, I pushed away from the table. I didn't eat anything. I didn't get myself ready. No, instead I stayed in solitary confinement and I sought God's face for three whole weeks. Look down at verse 12. Then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard. And I came for thy words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes came to help me. And I remained there with the king of Persia. Now this is fascinating. We get a look behind the curtain of our prayers. We know that there is a spiritual warfare that's going on, right? And uh, we read that in Ephesians 6. We wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers in high places. We know that uh, when we pray, there's a spiritual war going on. Did you know that when you pray, there are angels that take your prayer to God in heaven, and then there are angels that bring the prayer from heaven, uh, the answer from heaven, back to you. Daniel was praying, and an angel was sent as a messenger to give Daniel that answer, and a uh, demon withstood that angel and the demon was more powerful than that angel and for 21 days as Daniel uh, was on his knees in prayer that demon prevented that uh, spirit prevented that angel from getting to Daniel until Michael the archangel was sent to intervene and allow him through in order to give that answer now uh, uh, tonight I don't want to hyper focus on the the, uh, the the part of the spiritual that we cannot see See that we cannot control. But here's what I want to say. God needs you to prevail in prayer. He needs you to get on your knees and get hold of heaven. He needs you to push away from the table and push away from food. And again, if your health doesn't allow it, push away from something your flesh craves and get on your face and pray until you see uh, through the light of, of, of the night. When you do, you will establish an incredibly strong connection with heaven. You can know what it means to walk with God on a whole other plane. I wonder how many of you here tonight have ever gone 21 days like Daniel without food. Some years ago, I challenged the church to take 21 days. And to join me in a Daniel fast. And there were several who did. Some with food, others with other items. Such as social media and TV. And in the months to come after that Daniel fast that many in our church participated in. We saw a surge in growth and we saw a surge in salvation and baptisms at our church. Because there were a handful of people that said, we're going to push away from what the flesh wants. And we're going to seek God's face that He would do something great at our church. Why else do we fast? Well, we fast, according to Isaiah 58, to, to learn a stronger reliance on the Creator. Go back to chapter 58, look at verse 11. And the Lord, said, uh, the Lord shall guide thee continually. 
and satisfy thy soul in drought, and make fat thy bones. And thou shalt be like a watered garden, and like a spring whose waters fail not. Praise God. Praise God to have that stronger reliance on your Creator. You get into a lengthy fast, and you begin to feel weak and weary and tired. You know what it causes you to do? It causes you to turn to the Creator and say, I need you to sustain me. I need you to be enough for me. I'm not going to lean on a piece of bread or a piece of flesh. I'm going to lean on the God of heaven to get me through. The one who made me to get me through. One more tonight. Notice we fast to repair the foundation for the next generation. Go with me to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 1. Are you all familiar with the um, frog and the boiling pot illustration? Everybody here familiar with that? You put a frog in a... And I don't know that this actually works, but the, the analogy still is helpful to understand. You put a frog in a, a, a pot of water that's at room temperature, and you slowly turn that uh, temperature up, and the frog swims in the water and swims in the water. And because it's gradually increased at a rate that he doesn't uh, realize, he stays in the pot until he's been cooked in the pot. And um, again, I don't know that scientifically that's accurate, but you get the picture, you get the idea. I, I wonder if we could bring back preachers from a hundred years ago and show them the wickedness of our culture, what they would think. I wonder if we could take a preacher from a hundred years ago. Maybe you take the Apostle Paul or the Apostle Peter and you, you put them in a time machine and you bring them to current day. You put them in your car and you take them down here to the Milford Mall. You walk them up and down the halls of the Milford Mall with mannequins that are either naked or half naked and pictures in storefronts of women who are by all accounts, nude. Or most accounts, nude. And they walk the hallways and they see the, the filth that's celebrated in the way people dress and talk. They see two boys holding hands as they walk down the hall. Two girls romantically hanging all over each other. You've all seen this in the mall. I've seen it in the mall. It was in Las Vegas last week. There's a reason why they call it Sin City. It's properly named. You understand, this is what we're giving the next generation. When was the last time you stopped and took account of how wicked our world is and what we're giving our children and our grandchildren? I am honestly terrified for what my grandkids will grow up in. When was the last time you got on your face and you skipped a meal and you said to God in prayer, Heal our land. Heal our land. The foundations of this country were built on righteousness. 
And the cracks, they run deep. When was the last time that you said to God, I'm going to, with, I'm going to go without food and I'm going to pray that you use me to do something about it. Look at Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 1. We know Nehemiah to be the king's cupbearer. It came to pass, Nehemiah says, when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept and mourned a certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Can I read between the lines just a hair here? I think that sometimes people fast because they make an intentional choice. They crave food, but they push away from it. But I don't think that was the case with Nehemiah. I think word came to him that the city of Jerusalem was so broken that he lost his appetite to eat. That he pushed the food away because he was... He had lost his appetite and he instead fell on his face and he begged God to heal Jerusalem. And you know what God said? Okay, Nehemiah, you've prayed about that. I'm going to make a way for you to go back and repair the walls of that city. Maybe the reason why we don't want to pray like this is because God would call you or your children to have to make some sacrifices to be part of the solution. Nehemiah went back and had to face a lot of tribulation and struggle. But as a result of Nehemiah's fast, the walls were rebuilt and Jerusalem was restored. Boy, I meet a lot of pessimistic American Christians who just seem to think that we're living in the twilight of our country, living in the twilight of a spiritual awakening. The sun is setting never to come back up again. Call me crazy. Call me an optimist. But I just believe that America can make one more return back to God. But not if people who go to churches like this one are not willing to fall on their face and fast and pray. You see, if you won't do it, then pray tell me who will. Oh, I love this country with all of my heart. But do I love it enough to skip a meal occasionally and ask God to heal this land? I love, I love White Oak Baptist Church with all my heart. But am I willing to skip a meal occasionally and take the needs of the people that go here to heaven's throne and say, Lord God, heal our church? I love these two children over here with all my heart. Am I willing to skip a meal occasionally to fall on my face and ask that God keep them pure and safe and help them to find His will for their life and do it with all their heart? You see, if you're not willing to skip a meal and fast and pray, then the reality is that your God is your belly instead of God being your God.
Oh, may God give us a church full of Christians who have as part of their spiritual regimen the discipline of fasting, not for simple motives, but so that the bands of wickedness can be loose. Fleshly appetites can be kept in check. We have a stronger connection with heaven. We look after and have a tender heart toward the poor. We learn to lean on our Creator. And we see God heal our next generation. Let me give you some suggestions for fasting. I'd encourage you to write these down as we close this evening. If your health does not allow you to forego food for a day or 21 days, then pick something else your flesh enjoys and give that up. Number two, pray during the time that you would normally engage in that activity. If you took 30 minutes to eat a meal, take 30 minutes and get on your knees and pray. If you're a slow eater and eat an hour, then pray for an hour. Number three, Plan your prayer time carefully. Plan your prayer time carefully. You know if you take the time to pray, and I encourage you to go back and listen to my sermon on how to pray. I preached a few months back. Go back and listen to that sermon. I taught the church how to methodically pray. Boy, if you follow the model I laid out in that sermon, you can pray for an hour or two hours or six to eight hours. Plan your prayer time carefully. Number four, other than your brothers and sisters in Christ that are fasting uh, with you, this should be kept totally private. You might, you might have an accountability partner in your fasting. That might be your spouse. It might be another teenager in the youth group. Uh, it might be a brother or sister in the church who's fasting with you and holding you accountable in that area, outside of those people who are doing this with you in your family, immediate family, this ought to be kept extremely private. Number five, in times of weakness and temptation to break your fast, stop and pray and ask God for the strength to sustain you. I could go on and talk about the importance of drinking water. You need to make sure you stay hydrated. You can't go 21 days without water. <laughs> you need to drink water every day. Your body's made up of water, all right? Uh, it's important you drink lots of water and uh, that you stay hydrated. Take vitamins. Uh, take, uh, take some things that will help you. I'm not a doctor, all right? I'm not giving medical advice here. I'm just stating some things that are obvious. But we need fasting to be a Christian discipline in our lives. Let's have our heads bowed this evening. Lord God, I've preached a heavy sermon this last Sunday evening of the year. But Lord, one I believe that you wanted me to preach. And one that I believe pleases you. Now God, I don't pretend to be the Holy Spirit. I don't want to be the Holy Spirit. I don't want to step in His lane. Lord, I have conveyed the truth. But Holy Spirit, I would like you to convict the hearts. Help us to take what we've heard this evening. And Lord God, help us to put it into practice. May this be a church that's marked by prayer and fasting. Not because we talk about it with each other. Lord, the reality is only you would know if it was. 
Lord, I pray there would be people here tonight that would bend a knee and make a choice that in 2024, fasting will become part of their Christianity regimen. Christian discipline. And Lord, I pray that as a result, our church would be healed and would grow. Hearts would be healed and would grow. Marriages would strengthen. Children's futures would be secured. Lord, even our nation would begin to heal. Lord God, help us during this crucial time of invitation to make decisions that matter. In Jesus' name we pray.